Good to see everybody back. It's nice. We have a nice crowd tonight. That's good. Fortunately, I wasn't able to make it last uh, Tuesday for prayer, but I hope that was a good group as well. But welcome back. And I'm guessing everybody's small groups were really wonderful as we get back and get into the word. And um, let's pray and let's see what the Lord has for us tonight. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. Father, thank you just for meeting us, Lord each and every one of us, Lord, where we're at. Father, I pray tonight that your word would just go forth in power and in might. Father, that we would just uh, learn, Father, your word. Father, just as you teach us about bearing one another's burdens, Father, we thank you for the burden that you bore, Lord, and you died on that cross for us, and we just thank you for that. Father, we pray that you would just uh, hover about us, that your love would just be all around us, and that you would just uh, come and meet us here. Father, we thank you and praise you, and we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back from the holidays, and just like Donna said, you know, New Year and flu year, and praise the Lord. Um, It hasn't hit our household, so I'm very grateful for that, but I do know a great number of people who have been hit with the flu. So, you know, they still say get your flu shots if you haven't, and drink your orange juice, get your rest, all of those fun things. So anyway, tonight we're in book six of Galatians, and um, uh, we've gone through the first five books, and I just thought it was interesting. We've gone through all of these books, and then we had a a week of prayer, and now we come back, and I'm not certain, you know, even for myself, I'm like, oh, the book of Galatians. So I had to kind of go back through all of them to kind of be reminded where we're at. So in Galatians, Paul wants the readers to be guided by by the Spirit and not by a list of the laws. He gives them principles that require some thought. Paul's going to going about and he's establishing the doctrine of faith and of grace, forgiveness of sins, and so that we um, so that we might have that perfect knowledge, so that we would know the difference between Christ-like righteousness and all kinds of other righteousness. Righteousness of faith, it's not political, it's not ceremonial, it's not the righteousness of God's law. It doesn't consist in our works, and it's actually the contrary. For in us we work nothing, we render nothing unto God, but we only receive and let God work in us. In this final chapter, Paul Paul summarizes much of what had been written in the previous chapters. He wanted the, the believers in Galatia to walk in victory. We too, knowing the word, studying this word, we too can walk in victory, and we should be walking in victory. The, the Judaizers, the false teachers, were troubling the Christians in Galatia. They were insisting that the Gentile Christians must be circumcised and abide by the, all these ceremonial laws that were given to Moses in order to be saved. They were teaching that faith in Jesus alone wasn't enough to save these Gentile Christians, that they must add their own works of the law to be saved. The false teacher threatened the true gospel of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus. Paul wrote the letter to clarify and uphold the true gospel, that we are justified by grace through faith without the works of the law. So I'm going to quickly touch on the first five books, since for those of you who maybe are new tonight, or for those of you maybe 
like me who um, aren't very sharp on them because we've had such a long break. So here's a quick, here's a quick overview. In chapter one, we have the power of the gospel. Uh, Noreen shared with us that this is the Magna Carta, the fundamental guarantee of our rights and privileges and Christian liberty. Paul had marveled at how quickly they were turning away from what they heard and what they believed. They were called by God's grace and they were being led astray by a perverted gospel of works by salvation. Paul was preaching, uh, Paul's preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles was through the divine revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul bore the burden of obedience to his call and he, and, um, to glorify God and he was glorified through God. In chapter two, defending the gospel, the gospel, the Judaizers were insisting that the Gentile converts submit to circumcision and to the law. Paul's preaching of the gospel was based on the finished work of Jesus apart from the law. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul defends his apostleship. He openly rebukes Peter uh, for hypocrisy. And then, of course, as he's given the right hand of fellowship and, and told to go ahead and preach to, to the Gentiles, he's reminded of, of one thing towards the end, and that is to remember the poor. We, through the law, died to the law, that we might live to God. We've been crucified with Christ. No, it's no longer we that live, but it's Christ that lives in us. The life that we, we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Paul bore the, bore the burden to defend the gospel, a life crucified, and to live for Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, the superiority of faith. Trudy taught us about the doctrine of justification alone through faith. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He died on that cross. He called these Gentile converts, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, he asked them. Who's attracted you? What has delighted you in this magical way that you're not obeying the truth? Freely the Spirit was received, and they believed that now they were being made perfect by the flesh. They were trying to keep the law. Reminders, uh, Trudy reminded us that the just shall live by faith alone. We were redeemed from the curse of the law. We're all daughters of God through faith in Jesus. We're heirs to the promise. Paul had bore the burden to know the word and to confront and to set records straight. Justification by faith. In chapter 4, a new position with God. If you remember, Kathy clarified for us that just because some things is new, it doesn't mean it's always better. And if you remember, she said, you know, maybe new job, new shoes, new baby, new boyfriend, you know, it doesn't always, it may not always be better. Again, they were turning back to bondage. They were keeping the traditions and holy days. Uh, they allowed the false teacher to persuade them into keeping these, uh, the ceremonials and the rituals, these Jewish laws. However, our new position in Jesus we're redeemed, we're adopted, and it is better. We are heirs of God through Jesus Christ. He redeemed those under the law, and he made it possible for us to, to receive the adoption as daughters. A special blessing of his sonship was, is, was receiving the Spirit in, their, in our hearts and in their hearts. And now they were no longer as slaves, but sons as an heir of God through Christ. Paul explained to them the two different covenants through, the, uh, through Abraham, his, their, his two sons, Sarah and Hagar. 
the implication concerning the two of them. Hagar, the bondwoman who gave birth to Ishmael, who, which represented the covenant that was given at Mount Sinai, and it corresponds to the physical Jerusalem and the bondage of those under the law. And then there was Sarah, Abraham's wife, who gave birth to Isaac, who represents the new covenant and corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem, which offers freedom to all who accept it. Paul bore the burden of defense of the gospel of justification by faith in Christ by proclaiming that those in Christ are not of the bondwoman, but of the free. And then Donna taught us in chapter 5, walking in the spirit, the liberty that we have in Jesus. Some were saying that it wasn't enough just to believe in Jesus Christ, that they needed to keep the law. Particularly, they needed to keep the right of circumcision, religions, regulations, rituals. And in the words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Donna proclaimed to stand fast in your liberty and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Paul pointed out that the key is not religious regulations, but holy elevation. We were reminded that the hope of righteousness is for those who through the Spirit eagerly wait for it. with a faith working through love. Liberty in Christ doesn't mean a license, a license to sin, but it encourages us to use our liberty in order to serve one another in love. The, two bold, the twofold benefit of this use of liberty is that one actually fulfills the law, and at the same time, it does not give way to the flesh. It does not give the flesh an opportunity to cause them to bite and to devour one another. Walk in the Spirit so they fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul bore the burden of being the example of living what he preached. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. So tonight as we get ready to move into chapter 6, we're going to hit three points. We bear one another's burdens by being helpful, being responsible, and being diligent. Now throughout the entire letter, Paul had... um, Paul had appealed to the gospel as the rule to follow in our relationship with God and with one another. All who follow this rule of the gospel will certainly experience peace and mercy in the relationship with God and in the relationship with others, for the gospel gives peace with God on the basis of his mercy. Some of the main points Paul draws attention in the conclusion are points of contrast between himself and the false teachers who had misled the Galatian churches. To clarify these points of contrast, Paul, first he summarizes the position of the false teachers, the way of the world. Then he restates his own position, the way of the cross. He concludes, he's got a peace benediction in there. He gives a statement of his authority and then a grace benediction. So we ended chapter 5 with these, with these two verses, chapter 5, five verses 26 and 27, um, 25 and 26. It says, if we live in the spirit... Let us walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's where Donna left us off. And so now we slide into chapter 6 in verses 1 to 5, being helpful. We bear one another's burden by being helpful. In verses 1 to 5, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself of being something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own works, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Paul first starts out, um, and he and he says, brethren, with an expression of kindness. There was an issue of sin that needed to be addressed, and he comes to them with the, with the softness. He doesn't say, brethren. He comes with them with the brethren. If someone has overtaken, if a man is overtaken, he's gentle with them. He's compassionate. Paul is concerned about the person. He's not concerned about the sin, although the sin needs to be dealt with. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently. And he reminds us, be, be, be watchful, watch yourself, because you too can also be tempted. The word overtaken carries the idea of being surprised, so it's not as a deliberate, like he, you know, went in and deliberately sinned. Things happen. You know, we, we stay out of the word. We don't fellowship. We stop praying, and before we know it, you know, we're, we're instead of heading this way, we kind of start to veer off. And that seems to always be the way it is. And listen, there are those courses, there are those that, you know, deliberately sin, and they'll be dealt with as well. But here Paul is talking about, you know, having tenderness, having care, restoring this person, um, in, um, in exhorting the believers to restore, Paul's using the uh, Greek word, it's called kata artuzo. And it comes from the Greek word artuzo, and it's, um, the English is kind of like artistry or an artisan. And then the prefix kata, it has a variety of meanings, but in this one, he's conveying a sense of completeness. Uh, the Mark uses the same exact word in Luke, I'm sorry, in Mark 1.19, and um, he says that is when the disciples were mending their nets, so, you know, as to, you know, mend their nets and make sure they're properly and completely um, put together. That way, you know, they could, they'll be good for their use. Uh, Jesus uses this in a fully trained, as a fully trained student in Luke 640. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, but everyone perfectly trained will be like his teacher. In the secular Greek, it's used for a doctor setting a bone so it could heal. Such is the tenderness with, with which we should treat a fallen member of the church in restoring him to a better state. Now, I don't know about you. I've never had a broken bone, so I don't know. But I understand to have to set a bone is very, very painful. Um, I can only imagine. I know I've fallen and scraped in myself, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that to me is painful enough. I can't imagine I've broken something. But that's what it's like. You know, if, and if that's the case, you go to the doctor, you want them to be gentle with you. you want, and you want to make sure that they set it right because there's nothing worse than, and I have seen a bone not set correctly. And I can only imagine. So Paul is telling us here, you know, in, in this case, um, it, makes, it means to make something suited for its purpose, purpose. By using the word, Paul is putting emphasis on the solution and not the problem. The goal here is not punishment or expulsion, but restoration of the person's former state. And I don't know about you, but were you wondering, like, you know, what sin was committed? And I was talking to a sister, a sister in the Lord, and we were just sharing, you know, 
um, when we think about it, like, well, what was really going on, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, kind of, doesn't, doesn't the major sins kind of come to your mind? You know, like those big things. But nowhere in the Bible does it say they're major sins or minor sins, do they? A sin is a sin. And so those are the things that we have to remember. What kind of sin was Paul talking about? Was it a moment of weakness or was something persistent? Well, we don't know because it doesn't say. It's not clear, but what we do know is that restoration was needed. It must be done gently by spirit-led people who need their own tendencies who know their own tendencies to sin. And that is so true. And I, and I don't know about you, but I know, um, gosh, you know, you, you grow over the years and, you know, as a, as a babe in the Lord, you know, you're, you're just willing and open and anything that everybody, you know, that tells you and, and you want to do what's right. And then, you, you know, little years go by and then all of a sudden, you know, you can look like, wow, they're sinning. Oh, wow, they did that. And, you know, that's that right there is the warning we need to be careful of that we never we never look at it that way because you know what we too can fall into that sin and i you know i personally can never i cannot stand the words never and always you never do this you always do this well no <laughs> it's you know totally not the truth but that's just it we need to be careful to say we will never do something because we don't know. Paul reveals that liberty in Christ involves responsibilities. Those who are spiritual are to restore those overtaken in their trespasses. We should seek to restore in love and not to exploit in haughtiness. Those who are stronger to rise up to ours to raise up the fallen in the spirit of meekness. We all need we all need the support. And if you think about it, Romans 3.23, what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us are in need of being picked up. All of us are in need of some sort of restoration. And I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I try to remember I want people to be compassionate and caring and, and tender with me. You know, I don't want to be, have a, point, a finger pointed at me. And so oftentimes I remember, you know, I, that just comes to my mind like, you know, treat them like you want to be treated. Treat them like you want to be treated. Listen. You know, listen to what somebody is telling you. Listen to what the real issue is. And um, it just the Lord has just done a, a great work over this holiday season with our family. And um, my father-in-law has been ill, and he was in the hospital. And I remember he was trying to say something, and people were just trying to answer for him, you know. And then he'd get a little upset, and he's a, he's a very sweet man. So to see him get upset is kind of like, ooh. And so I just remember, I remember telling my husband, I said, you know, you need to listen to him. I said, he just starts talking. He's having a little trouble with his, with his word. But I said, you know, you need to listen to him. You need to let him speak. And I told him, and when he pauses, he's not done. <laughs> He's trying to get that next thought out, so you need to listen. So it was really neat. My father-in-law came home, and um, we were sitting there one morning, and so he was getting, there he was at the table, and he's starting to talk. And I could see why I was sitting in the front room, and they were over at the table, and all of a sudden, John looks at me, and he's biting his lip, you know, and he's like, mm, and I was like, yep. And, he's, and it's so funny. And then the dad stops, and he looks at me, and then the dad starts up again, and he's like, mm. <laughs> just it, let him talk. Let him tell you what, what he wants to tell you. You don't need to speak for him, but it was really neat. Um, don't even know why I'm going off on that tangent, but I just thought it must, must be to 
be said for something. Anyway, Augustine said, there is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit it also. We stand in slippery places. Temptation is ever present and the warning to, con- the warning to consider ourselves lest we be tempted. First Peter 5 eight. The devil, our our adversary, who continually roars about seeking to devour us, is not dead. Likewise, our flesh, our old man, is yet alive. Not to mention all the temptations that trouble us and oppress us on every side. And this is just a rule that can never be taught, urged, or repeated enough to take heed lest we fall. We need to make sure that we never say never. I won't ever do that because I think about David. David, who was a hero, who was a hero of faith, and he did so many great things for the Lord. Could fall so badly that, in spite of his advanced age, he had overcome. He was overcome by a youthful lust after he withstood so many temptations, which the Lord had tested his faith. Who are we to think that we are more stable than that? These object lessons of God should convince us that. Of all things, God hates pride. As sisters in faith, we're to help one another. Verse 2 tells us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you want a law, Paul seems to say, start with the law of helping others. Jesus served others rather than himself, so we should also. When someone is caught up in sin, we need to help the person and not make their burden heavier. The word burden comes from the old term like a load, like a weight. And there's a great need for this. And I'm always amazed how everyone is okay. You know, I don't know about you, go about the but say, hey, how are you? I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so I sit here tonight and I think, wow, man, there's 80 women here that are okay. All right, Lord, okay. When in fact, exactly, probably not. This is the law of love which fulfills the purpose of God. Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The law of Christ is the law of love. Christ gave us no other law than this law of mutual love. A new commandment I give unto you, that you, that you love one another, and to love means to bear one another's burdens. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I'm going to give you a a few verses all about the same lines, and this doesn't even exhaust one another. John 15, 12 and 17. Romans 12, 10. Romans 13.8, Galatians 5.13, Ephesians 4.2. And I have about eight more here, and, and that didn't even exhaust them. So you get the message. We need to encourage and pray for one another, James 5.16. Edify one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Prefer one another, Romans 12.10. Use hospitality to one another. And 1 Peter 4.9. We just continue. There are plenty more of how we need to help each other, edify one another, uh, be hospitable to, to one another, pray for one another. The self-righteousness or the, the self-righteous or the legalists aren't concerned with bearing anyone's burdens. They would rather add to the burden. In Acts 15:10, it says, "Now therefore, why do you test God by?" 
test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. That's what Paul was telling them. Why, why are they doing this? Why were they putting this burden on this, these people? This was one of the sins of the Pharisees in the day. The self-righteous or the legalist is always harder on someone else than they are on themselves. Matthew 23, 4 says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Matthew 7, 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank in your own eye? If we can overlook our own shortcomings and our own wrongdoings, we ought to be able to look, overlook the shortcomings of others in accordance with the, with the word and to bear one another's burdens. Love, according to Paul, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. First Peter 4, 8, it says, And above all these things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And I remember I was part of, part of I think, my whole uh, thing about my family was, I remember when Travis, and I know I probably have shared this before, my son, he, um, one day he was really bummed, you know, and I was like, hey, what's the matter? And he said, you know, people ask how I am, but, you know, I don't really think they care how I am, you know. And, and so, in, and it really bummed him out, Um and it just, it just reminded me that, you know, it, what would it make for me is like, okay, when I ask somebody, I think I really want to know or make sure if I'm going to ask, I really want to know and I'm listening. But it really did. It bummed him out that, that people, um, and I said, well, do you tell him really how you are or what's going on? And he's like, well, no. <laughs> I was like, well, try. Maybe, they'll, maybe they will care. But it just bummed him out that just the whole superficial of, hey, how are you? And even if he, you know, I think one time he said something and the person's like, oh, well, I hope you're okay. You know, but you can't let that you know, persuade you to not tell people how you are. Uh, we need to be absolutely honest and tell others what really is happening. Then be humble enough to allow others to help. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, is humility. First of all, in order to let others know whereabouts we are, what's happening. And I remember, um, I shared one more little story. Um, over the holidays, I was really bummed. You know, uh, we spent a lot of time in the hospital, a lot of time with my in-laws. And uh, I just wasn't getting too much done for myself around the house. And I love the holidays, and I decorate, and it's always such a great time. And it was the Sunday before Christmas, so it was probably around the 20th, whatever, around there. My tree was up. I had lights halfway around because the rest of the lights didn't work. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I only had half the lights on. And so my son and, uh, and his wife, Brianna, they came over, my daughter-in-law. And um, it was about, oh, I think it was like 7.30 at night. And I was tired. And I had to go to work the next day. And so she came over, and she's like, and I was doing the dishes. And uh, she said, she said, oh, can I help you do anything, Lorraine? And I said, no, it's okay. She's like, what's the matter? I said, I'm a little bummed. I said, I, can't, I haven't gotten the tree decorated yet, and, you know, I haven't really wrapped. And she says, well, don't be bummed because you really like Christmas. She said, and I'll help you. What do you want to do? And I said, nothing, nothing. It's okay. I'll do it. She said, no, what do you want to do? So we Undid, took off the lights that I had. We put lights on. She helped me hang ornaments, you know, on my, on my tree. And by the end of the time they left about 930, the tree was done. And she was so cute. And the one thing I have to say, because she knows how I am, she said, when she's getting ready to put the ornaments, she says, um, is there any, real, any particular way? And I said, no. Well, yes, there is. <laughs> no two bulbs can be in the same place with the same color or the same size. She knew 
poor thing. But she knew. She knew she needed to ask because it wasn't going to be let's just hang bulbs on the tree. She knows better. But, but I'll tell you. And what a relief. And by the end of that night, I was so excited and so jazzed. You know, my, my tree was done. But not only that, just even other times how, you know, she, she said, you know, do you want, me to, you want me to go over and clean? Do you need me to do anything? And, I, and it was such a blessing. But not only that, friends. I have, I have great friends, I'm certain, as most do, um, who just at any time, they're like, you know, do you need anything? Do you need us to, to you know, pick up anything for you? Do you need us to, to come over and help you? And, and, you know, at the time, it wasn't that big a deal because nobody was really at the house, but um, just fellowship. I mean, there was a time when, you know, my girlfriends had just said, you know what, we need to meet. doesn't matter, we need to meet, and just for fellowship. And what a blessing. And, and that's what it is. That's what it is. Those things are just a blessing. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he's deceived, it says in verse 3. But let each one of them examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. This seems to be a warning to the people who think they're spiritual giants and never likely to be caught in a sin. If you think you can stand on your own, he says, watch out. For you could fall too. First Corinthians ten twelve. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. In Galatians two six six, Paul deals with the same issue. Um, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, added nothing to me. Oh, that we wouldn't be self-deceived. Do we have an attitude of humility? Because you realize your own weakness? Proverbs 16:19 says, Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. At the same time, we need to uh, examine ourselves and, and to seek and to bear our own load, the word says. We need to be attentive to our own lives, but we also need to help others. Spiritual growth is a matter of cooperation, not competition. We don't need to judge on how well other people are doing in their faith. We need to be attentive to whether we are doing what we ought to. We shouldn't take pride in being better than anyone else, for each person in life has their own journey. Romans 12:3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul described these stiff and ungracious saints accurately when he says of them, they think themselves to be something bloated by their own silly ideas and schemes. They entertain a pretty fair opinion of themselves when in reality they don't mount to nothing. The trouble is with those seeking after glory is that they never stop to consider whether their ministry is straightforward or faithful. They, all they think about is what, whether people will like them and the praise that they might get. <clears throat> And I see this. I see this every day. You know, it, at work, any type of leadership role that you're in, it is not popular. You are not popular if you are in leadership. I'll tell you. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier just about idle chatter and and things, and people just want to talk about somebody. They don't care who it is. They want to pull somebody down. They want to talk about what they wear, the way they look, everything. And it's just it's crazy to me. It's like wow. This is just incredible. We need to be faithful in all we do. We need to keep our word and do the best that we can. We shouldn't seek our own glory or praise. Our, des our desire should be to do good, to preach to others the pure gospel to the glory of God. 
Paul was a great example of not losing heart. We too can glory in the Lord and do our work cheerfully. Who who cares whether our efforts please or displease the enemy? Who cares whether the world praises or hates us? Well, of course, we do. That's who cares. We do. There's an issue. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 3 through 10, it says, Those things in which and by which we are to minister. And it says, Do not give an offense in anything. That our, our ministry should not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves to the ministers of God in patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of the truth, the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor, that is how our ministry should be. May we embrace the gospel today and not discard it tomorrow, because many people do. The best commendation of any work is to know that one has done the work that God has given him or her well and that God is pleased with their efforts. In verse 5, it says that we should bear our own load. We all have have a day where we're going to be before the Lord, and we will all know what we did and how well we did it. In verses 6 to 10, we learn being, uh, we bear the burdens by being responsible. In verse 6, it says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And this one here is not a topic that many like to talk about, so we're going to touch on it. It's about tithing. It's about giving to the, to our pastors, to our leaders, those things. Um, further responsibility involves sharing with those who teach and not growing weary and doing good, especially to our home church. As motivation to do good, Paul reminds us the principles of sowing and reaping, particularly when it relates to the flesh and the spirit. Paul wants to stir up his readers to be generous. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructors. When the people were spiritually immature, Paul was willing to support himself, and he, you know, as you know, he's a tent maker. Um, but he also taught that believers should support those who labor in the gospel. And if we want teachers to help us with their in their abilities, then we also should help them with ours. So I put tithe, tithe, tithe. Anyway, ladies, <laughs> don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he should also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. The principle to... Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Can be applied in many in many settings. The more we give, the more we will receive. A self-centered life produces only material things that eventually waste away. But a life and a life in the flesh doesn't even want the kind of life that God has to offer. But if we're attentive to the spiritual priorities, the results will be more blessings from the Spirit. It's not a matter of earning eternal life through good works. It's simply an acknowledgement that the spiritual choices have results. If we focus on ourselves, 
our life will produce nothing of value. But if we make decisions in life following the Spirit, we will be participating in the kind of life that we will enjoy forever, eternal life. The Spirit leads us and empowers us, but we still have the choice on how we live, and our decisions do have consequences. In verse 9, Paul makes it clear that the works of the law cannot save us, but he has nothing against good works. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Why do we get tired of doing good? Because it doesn't always have immediate rewards but eventually it will have good results. It's easy enough to get to do good once or twice. And I was thinking about that. You know, it's easy when you need to do something for somebody. You know, you kind of help them out here. You kind of help them out there. And it is a, it's a neat thing. It's a blessing. And you feel good and they feel good and all is good. But when that person needs you week after week after week after week after week after month after month after year, it can get tiresome. It can get very, very tiresome. So we're all cheers when when it's only for a, a, a moment but we need to keep doing good without getting disgusted or being ungrateful have an attitude of ingratitude of to those whom are being benefited and it's not easy the apostle does not only admonish us to do good but to do it untiringly remember the promise in due season we shall reap think of that when you do good and the ingratitude of the others will not stop you from doing good. In verse 10, Paul concludes that, Therefore, we have an opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Since doing good is the right way to live, we should do good not just to our friends, but to all people. And yet Paul notes that we have a special responsibility to the church in Paul's day, wealthy citizens often financed the, the banquets and, um, and they, you know, rented the, civ the civic buildings. Um, they were doing good to all. Be a public benefactor. Paul is saying, especially within the church, if you sow generously, you will reap abundantly. Second Corinthians 9, uh, 6 through 8, it says, But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and, who, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let, us, so let each one of us, as he purposed in his hearts, not grudgingly of ne of, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundant for every good work. And last but not least, bearing one another's burdens by being diligent. In verses 11 through 18, um, it says, see that, see, and now here we are at the end of the letter. And Paul says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing of the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross. Um, Paul goes on to say, for not, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire, that, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision avails anything but a new creation. Paul now takes the pen and he writes the closing words, um, as they often did, uh, Greeks, Greek authors did. And um, there's kind of two, two ideas here. Uh, one was that maybe he had a little bit of an eye trouble, and so when he wrote and he didn't understand the parchment paper. Um, I'm of the belief that um, Paul was writing this. Um, he wrote the conclusion in large letters because he wanted to emphasize to the Galatian church the importance of the main points of the letter in his concluding summary. In our days, we might draw attention to bold-faced type or, or whatever. So, you know, I, to me, I was telling the ladies earlier, when I write a note and I put big letters, it's because I want you to know that's what I want. <laughs> I'm making a point. When I say you need to clean your room, um, they know. You know, I don't say, oh, could you please, if you have time. No, it's brief. And also I think about, you know what, when you're typing. When you type in caps, what are you doing? Yeah, you're wanting to be heard, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to kind of go with that. That's kind of the, the type I'm going. Um, the same thing. Paul, kind of his conclusion, he's emphasizing to the church the main points. Um, you know, he, he adds a few thoughts about um, circumcision. Those that want to impress people by the means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason that they, um, that they do this is, is avoid being uh, persecuted for the cross of Christ. Basically, the false teachers wanted um, Christianity to be a sect of Judaism for the, all the Gentile believers to become proselytes. Um, they wanted to offer, you know, various religious reasons. But Paul says that what they really wanted was to be accepted by these unbelieving Jews. Um, boasting about achievements and, and these things. They wanted to boast about who it is they were bringing and all of those things. But because of the cross, our old self is irrelevant. The new spiritual reality is that it doesn't matter whether a person is a Jew or Gentile. What counts is the new creation. In the cross, we... in the in the cross, Jesus died, and he was resurrected. We were made new. Our relationship with God is based on our connection with Christ and not our flesh. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Um, in verse 16, it says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Uh, verse 17, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus, of our Lord Jesus. Um, Paul here had, had uh, marks on his body, scars from his suffering as an, apostle, as an apostle of Christ. These marks demonstrated his unwavering loyalty to the gospel. While the false teachers were preoccupied with the marks um, left by the rituals of circumcision, Paul drew attention to the marks left by the reality of serving. And last, in verse 18, it says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with, this, with your spirit. The grace of Jesus Christ's experience is the spirit makes, us, makes all believers true brothers and sisters in the family of God. He ends his epistle the way he began it by wishing the Galatians grace with God. He's presented Christ to you. He's pleaded with you. He's, I have reproved you. I have overlooked nothing that I might be benefited at all. All I can do now is to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would bless my epistle and grant you guidance to the Holy 
through the Holy Spirit. And that's all he wanted was for them to know that it was Jesus. What happened, um, what tonight, ladies, is weighing you down? What is it that you need lifted? Let us pray with you tonight. Find a sister in the Lord. If you need something, please let us know. Be humble enough to ask and accept the help for those things. Um, for me, believe it or not, you know, it's coming to be that springtime, and I'm going to need my walls washed. My sisters in the Lord know who they are. Um, they will get the call. And, I'm, you know, I'm blessed. They'll be there. Uh, they'll be there because that's, that's what will be weighing me down during spring cleaning. So, um, you know, there's so many more, but that they can come and help with. Um, tonight, uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And if anyone can honestly admit we're ill-equipped to go through this alone, our all-knowing God created us with a need for his guidance. In, in our own strength, knowledge, and reasoning power, we simply are not able to figure out how to make the wisest decision. But the Lord assures us his hands are on our shoulders and he can lead us down that right path. Jeremiah 10, 20, 23 says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way in him is not in himself, nor is a man who walks, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Remember, there are those activities, those appealing activities that can help to detour you and they can lead you to quicksand. We need to make sure that our feet are steady and that we're looking for the Lord. God is perfect. He's our full-service guide. And no one can go wrong by keeping the pathway that he selects for us. Considering that he is loving and intentionally created you for this time and for this place. The Lord watches over us, our steps, because he desires to see your, our purposes fulfilled and his plan come to fruition through us. He promises to counsel those who follow him, and he warns his children, and he, I'm sorry, when God warns his children away from tempting sidetracks, he will, it is because he foresees the dangers ahead, and that's just it. He knows what's ahead, we don't. He's going to guide us, he's going to send us the right way. This final chapter, Paul reveals the liberty in Christ involves responsibilities. Once again, those who are spiritual are to restore those overtaken in trespasses, and all are to bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. At the same time, each of us ought to examine ourselves and to seek the load that we have, that we're bearing. Paul concludes, his concluding remarks include the insight into the motivation behind those seeking to compel circumcision. As we remember, it's not about the law. It's not about the law. It's not about the law. It's about Jesus alone. It's about walking in, in the spirit. It's about being justified by faith. And it is about the finished work that he has done. The gospel is the rule, was the rule for Paul's life. It determined both the spiritual and the social dimension of his life. No longer does he relate to God or to others on the basis of his Jewish identity, but on the basis of his union with Christ in his death and resurrection. The gospel should be the rule of our life. Paul bore the burdens of those he taught. What an example. Jesus bore our burdens when he died on the cross for every past, present, and future sin. 
What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Father, tonight as your word goes forth, Lord, I pray that we would just continue, Father, to practice, practice, practice all of those things that you teach us, Lord. Help us to bear one another's burdens, Lord. I pray for the women tonight, Father, for anyone who is hurting, who has a, such a heavy load, Lord, who has a burden that has overtaken them, Lord, that they would just seek in humility, Lord, someone to help. Father, we are a body who needs to pray for each other, who needs to help each other, Father, as your word has shown us, as your word commands us, Lord. Help us to fulfill the law of Christ, and that is of love, to love one another, to help one another, to bear one another's burdens. Father, we just thank you for your word, for your goodness, for your love, and, Father, especially for dying on the cross. I pray tonight if anybody is here and they don't know you, Lord, that they would come and seek you, Father, that they wouldn't leave here the same, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior. Lord, bring them to the front. Bring them to prayer, Lord. Prompt the women, Lord, to just be able to see your goodness, Father, to see their sisters come alongside and help. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. And we just lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.